0: The text for the sermon this afternoon is Psalm 72. Psalm 72. We'll read that psalm in its entirety right now. Psalm 72, the superscription of Solomon. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, as long as the moon throughout all generations May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish, and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute, May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains may it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon. And may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people call him blessed. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. In response to the preaching of the gospel, we'll sing together hymn 78. Hymn 78 after the sermon. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, This morning, as we heard the word of the Lord concerning the wonderful and glorious priesthood of our Savior Jesus Christ, we were able to consider everything that was lacking in the Old Testament priesthood. And as we were considering those things, we were able to see how by the end of the Old Testament era... Because of the experiences of exile and other hardships, the people of God were absolutely desperate, desperate for the restoration of peace with their God. And the song that we sang just before the reading of the text this afternoon that song really emphasized that state of exile that the people were feeling before the coming of Christ. Even though the people of God were back in the land of promise, they were back in, in the land of Israel after those 70 years of exile in Babylon, they still experienced that sort of spiritual exile, and they would experience it until the coming of Christ. And we sang these words O come, O come, Emmanuel, ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here, all was not well with the people of God. There's that dark situation, exile under the shadow of, of death itself. It's the blackest night waiting for the wonderful morning of the coming of the promised one. Paradise has been lost and it needs to be restored. And in this same hymn, hymn 16, we have this long-awaited solution. The thing the people of God are waiting for. O come, thou branch of Jesse's stem, come thou who hast David's key. The people of God are waiting for the king. The Davidic king. What an awesome and glorious hope for a broken people to know that this is something that God has promised the king is coming. The king is coming. And when that glorious king arrives, he's going to have the power and the authority to restore everything that's broken. He'll put an end to all of the trauma that we experience in this world. The trauma that not only the people who belong to God, but indeed all of creation experiences because of the brokenness of the fallen to sin. He will heal those who are feeling the curse, the curse that settled over all of creation because of the inescapable plague of sin on the human race and on everything else. The king is coming. The king is going to set up his glorious kingdom. And there's this hope that all is going to be well with the world. That's the promise that is held out. This is what the coming of the Messiah means. This afternoon, of course, we're hearing the third in the series of the the threefold office of Christ, prophet, priest, and king. In the past two installments, we heard the, the wonderful work of God's prophets and priests, his earthly prophets and priests, in proclaiming, teaching the people of God that salvation is open, the way of salvation is open, but we also saw that... The the imperfect way that these offices were held, we saw that they couldn't completely secure the well-being of God's people. They couldn't secure peace with God. We needed our real chief prophet and teacher to come. We needed our only high priest to open the way of salvation and to make us understand the wonder of this way. And he has done this. And this afternoon, It's also our prayer that our hearts can be lifted up, our eyes can be opened to see the glory of God in His Son, Jesus Christ, who is our eternal King. Whose kingdom has come. Whose kingdom is still coming. Whose rule is wonderful and glorious. We'll hear what the Word of God has said and continues to say to us about His coming in Psalm 72. And so as we do this, I want to take a quick walk through uh, this psalm, Psalm 72. And I'm going to draw your attention to two major themes that are here, and so I invite you to follow along in your Bibles if you like. So I want to first have a look at how this psalm begins and ends. In verse 1, in verse 1, the people of God are praying to God to bless the king of Israel. Give the king your justice, O God, and your, just, your, and your righteousness to your royal son. So this is a, a prayer for a blessing to be upon him. So firstly, that he would bless the earthly kings of the nation, endow this king with justice and righteousness. And this is the blessing that this man this king, this is the kind of blessing that he needs in order to be able to carry out his office faithfully. So that's the opening of the psalm, and then we have this whole middle section that's about the outworking of that justice and righteousness that God does bless his king with. The expectation is that God will bring about these blessings, and then after that whole middle section, the song closes with this Beautiful doxology. After God has indeed done all of these things and we see God doing these things, well then praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, or blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen. And in case you missed it, amen. Double amen here. God certainly will bring this about. So it it begins with a prayer for God's blessing, and then in the middle there's this description about about what God's blessing looks like. What does that look like if if he actually carries through with all of this? And then as God does these things, we're prepared, we're taught, we're equipped about how to give thanks and praise to God in the highest form possible because he certainly will bring these things about. Now, the superscription of this psalm says that it is sung of Solomon. He's the king whom the Lord endowed with this justice and righteousness and it is under his rule that we can see in in the history of of the people of Israel, we can see that the people enjoyed all of these things that we're about to hear about. And this is true. We think of the glory of the kingdom of Israel during the reign of King Solomon. We can think of, uh, for example, when the queen of Sheba came. and She had heard uh, this reputation of, of Solomon's wisdom. She came to to challenge him and to hear the wisdom that God had given to him. And she is able to witness all of the wonderful things that God is doing for these people. She sees the, all of the service that's, uh, that's being carried out at the temple, all of the service that's being carried out in the royal palaces. And the thing that she remarks is that, all of this is happening because of the Lord's great love for his people. So this golden age of the kingdom of Israel and it's functioning as it's supposed to be functioning, uh, the people of Israel are, are, are acting as a showpiece of God in the world. When foreigners uh, travel through Israel and they see what God is doing, they are blown away by what they see and they give God the glory for this. God's goodness and His glory is made to shine in the earth through the rule of this faithful son of David. But, but, we know from the history of Solomon that this is a glory that is fleeting. It doesn't last forever. It doesn't last forever. And so in some way, even though God is Bringing about all of this in history during the time of Israel, there are a few things here that cannot come about yet. Solomon was led astray by his many foreign women. He was led to worship other gods. The kingdom was split because of his unfaithfulness. And there's a history of tragedy for the people of God. We know that a greater son of David, someone greater than Solomon himself, must fulfill this prayer and promise in infinitely greater measures than Solomon ever could. So, with that in mind, let's have a look at the body of this psalm, that middle section. And and in there, as I mentioned, we'll see two uh, major emphases, two themes. And these themes uh, appear sort of in leapfrogging sections. There's like a uh, theme A, theme B, theme A, theme B. Uh, So two sections that, uh, so there are two sections that focus on the experience of, the wonderful experience of the subjects of the king, so the people that are under his rule, and then two sections that focus on the king himself, the messianic king himself. And so the first section These are the verses 2, 3, and 4, and here we see that when the Lord blesses the king in the way that the people are praying for, then it will be very good for the people of God, right? He's judging the people with righteousness, the poor are being judged judged with justice, the people are experiencing prosperity, Even, even the hills themselves, the whole land is uh, is is a benefit for the people of the kingdom. He defends the cause of the poor. He delivers the needy. He crushes everybody who, uh, who is oppressing. Victims will be defended. So that's the first section. This is a very wonderful blessing for the people of the kingdom. And then we have the second section. This is verses five through eleven, and this section focuses on the king himself. What is the king like? The one who's ruling. And this is the character of his reign. It's an everlasting reign. His his rule is life-giving. It's like rain that waters the fields. It's like life-giving showers on the earth. And, And because of his character, he is honored in every part of the earth. This is a wonderful and glorious king. And then we have the third section. And so that turns away from the king back to uh, the people that are under his rule, we again see more blessings for the people of God. This is verses 12 and 13 and 14. He delivers the needy when he calls. The poor uh, are, are delivered, those who need a helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy. He saves the lives of the needy. Everybody is, is redeemed from oppression and violence. Again, this is very good for all of the people who are under his rule. And then finally we have the the fourth section, verses 15, 16, and 17. Back to our focus on the king. Long live the king. Let everyone praise him. Let everyone bless his name. All nations are blessed by him, and all nations call him blessed. So two sections that focus on, on the people and how wonderful everything is for them that they get to live in this kingdom, and two sections that focus on the the wonderful, glorious nature of the king himself. So I want to first uh, briefly talk about the, the two sections that focus on the blessing for the people. Right? These are, these are words that give an enormous hope for people who are in trouble, people who are oppressed. These are words that give comfort for those who are in a state Of need. And there's something we have to realize here, and that these promises for relief from oppression, healing from affliction, this is one wonderful aspect of the gospel. It's an amazing and wonderful hope and expectation that Jesus Christ, our Lord and our King, He's he's the great rescuer He's the great healer. He's the one who comes to solve all of the world's problems. He he heals forever those who are sick. He he comes to restore the the cosmos. He restores the entire world into a state of goodness. He takes away the awful reproach of sin from us. And he gives us his righteousness. And and this, this is sort of encapsulated in this way to frame the gospel which is Jesus Christ for the world. Jesus Christ for the world. He's the one who comes and restores everything that's broken. He's the one who comes and rules with justice and righteousness and everything that was wrong with the world is made right. Again, that's one aspect of the gospel. This is an amazing king who brings that kind of kingdom. And we contrast that idea of that righteous king who rules so perfectly, we contrast that with, let's say, the reading that we just did from 2 Kings, this catalog of the final kings of the kingdom of Judah. And if you would like to read Something similar to that. There's a similar recording in Second Kings seventeen, which is not about the kings of Judah, but the kings of the northern kingdom, the kingdoms of Israel. And it's it reads very similarly. Wicked king after wicked king leads the people of God in unfaithfulness, and then we were given the reason right in the text that God pours out His awful wrath on His people. He he leads them off into exile. Here in, in our reading, he destroyed the kingdom of Judah. He burned up Jerusalem by using the Babylonians as his instruments. And this is, this is his response to their unfaithfulness. And this is in accordance with the covenantal promises that he gave to them, even before they were brought into the land. He said, you're going to be faith, unfaithful to me, and I'm going to kick you out of the land. And, and, and it all happened according to his word. The kings of God's people did not lead the people as righteous kings. They did not, they did not rule the land in a, in a Psalm 72 kind of way. They did not know and love the law of God. We read in Deuteronomy 17 about something very specific that, that every king was supposed to do, right? Every king was supposed to take Uh, an authorized copy of the law, so that would be Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, that was known as the Torah, the book of instruction. Every king was supposed to take one of those and then write with his own hand every single word, write it for himself and read from it every day and know the word of God. They were supposed to write it on their hearts But these kings didn't do that. They didn't marvel at the goodness of God in His Word. They didn't make sure that they knew His will. They didn't ensure that the people followed the will of God. If they did, if they did those things, then they would have desired to rule righteously and with justice. They would have ruled a kingdom that enjoyed the blessings of God. But they rejected it all. Instead of righteousness and justice that's, that's so impressive, that's so wonderful for everyone to see, they trampled the poor, they trampled the needy, they polluted the worship of God. And God finally spat them out. <clears throat> In contrast to that horrible track record, of the kings of Israel and Judah, the kings who failed so terribly, kings who brought this dark state of exile, kings who, because of their own moral failures, because of their godless character, brought the people to such a state where they would be crying out for help, crying for restoration. Here in this psalm, we have the glorious character of our king the one that God's people were waiting for the one who would be born on the one hand we have this glorious hope and expectation of how well it will be for the people again that that one aspect of the gospel is how how blessed the people of God are and how prosperous their life is how well it goes for them when God's king is ruling. Jesus rules perfectly that every wrong in the world will be made right, that his kingdom will be everlasting, that it's perfect. This promise that, that the future is a future without spot or blemish. It's a future without any corruption. It's a future without oppression. It's a future of life in a kingdom that has perfect justice and, and, and we see the, the great need for, for those kinds of things. I mean, especially today, we have war breaking out between Russia and the Ukraine and lives are being lost and people, are, people all, all over the world are in a state of uncertainty about how all of this is going to go, how many countries are going to get dragged into this. This is not how life is supposed to be lived in this world. It's another glaring signal that all is not well with the world. But the promise of Jesus as king is that even those kinds of things are going to be healed. So yes, the gospel is Jesus Christ for the world, the one who heals and restores the world, but it's a lot bigger than that too. The gospel of Jesus Christ isn't just about how he benefits the world. The gospel isn't just about what we get from him. It's not just about the benefits that we receive. The great message of the gospel is the revealing of the most beautiful and loving and compassionate good king that there ever could be. That's the greater message of the gospel, the character of the king who has come. The gospel is the shining brightness of the Son of God. Long live the king, and may we bless his name forever. There's an even further aspect to that greater message of the gospel, and and that's this. That's the fact that God has bound those two beautiful aspects of the gospel together. So yes, on the one hand, Christ for the world, it's the king who restores the world and who fixes it and who heals it, but it and it's also the world for Christ, the, the, the world who praises this, this glorious king who has done such wonderful things. But God has bound those two things together. Christ for the world and the world for Him, so that the greatest glory and honor of God is precisely how and why Christ is exalted. Christ is exalted because of what the whole story of the Bible is moving toward. The consummation of all things is that this glorious God-made man, God incarnate, This son of David, he is saving his people from certain destruction, and he is bringing them into an unimaginably glorious state of unity with himself. We are not merely these beneficiaries of his work. We're not merely subjects of the greatest king the world can ever know. But in the course of the work of Jesus Christ... We are made one with him. We're made one with him. Think about how incredible that is. Jesus' prayer in John 17 was that the unity that that all of us can have with Jesus Christ, that unity can be like the unity that God the Son enjoys with God the Father. That idea should be mind-boggling to us. God is one. There is perfect unity, perfect oneness between God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus' prayer is that our unity with Him would be like that. That goal That goal of unity is the purpose of everything. That's the great story of the Bible. God is the creator and the ruler of the earth, and He created us to obey Him and serve Him and worship Him because He is God and Lord and King. But that obedience... What does that mean? That obedience means conforming to Him who is holy and good. It means having this beautiful harmony with God. It means fully enjoying His goodness and His most intimate presence forever and ever. In Jesus Christ, we have a king who rules with perfect justice, with perfect righteousness, and that perfection is able to abound in his kingdom because he has bound us to himself. He's united us to himself in a perfect union. All wickedness is removed. All affliction is taken away. The love of God rules all people In his kingdom. And this is the transcendent promise about life in that kingdom. That God lives with his people. In perfect unity. In Jesus Christ we are brought so intimately near to God. So that body and soul we are captivated by His awe-inspiring majesty, His beauty. We are utterly stunned by the kind of love that He would show us in the way that He saves us through His Son, Jesus Christ. He unites us to His Son, Jesus Christ, brings us back to Himself, and He gives us this unspeakable gift of oneness with Him. That is His great glory. That is His eternal praise. That is the gospel. That's the story of the church. The church is rescued, restored, and and brought to such a a state of, of blessedness. This is the exaltation. This is the... Magnification of the name of God. This has always been the great purpose of God. This is the great revealing of God's glory in His Son. We read all of this. We can see this in Ephesians 1, verses 20 through 22. We read there that God raised Christ from the dead, He seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realm, so, so Christ takes His place on his throne, as the king over all creation, far above all rule and authority, above every power and dominion, above every name that is invoked, not only in the present, present age, but also in the, in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet, appointed, every, appointed him to be the head over everything. Listen to this now. He appointed him to be the head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the exaltation of this glorious king, this is the goal of the gospel, but the Apostle Paul here attaches the well-being of the church to the glory of the Son of God because of that unity that we have with him. God's purpose, the great goal of all this is that Jesus Christ would be lifted up higher than anything else and that he and his bride, the church, are then given to each other in this beautiful love and unity. That's the goal. That Jesus and his bride are given to each other. What a story. There's no story like that. That's what it means to live in the kingdom that Christ, the messianic king, the son of David, has ushered in. This kingdom that is still coming. Long may he live. Long live the king. In a way, we still, our experience is sort of like those who awaited his birth. Right now, we're awaiting his return. We still feel the pinch of the corruption of the world, the rule of non-righteous kings, rulers who do not rule with justice and righteousness and equity. People are trampled. The poor are oppressed. but all things are being put under the feet of Jesus Christ. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. No one else could conceive of such a plan and execute it so perfectly. Praise be to His glorious name forever, and may the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and amen.